0: Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 says this Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Okay, would you do something for me? Would everybody close your eyes? Close your eyes for just a minute. Now think about the most beautiful place that you've ever been. A landscape, not like, you you know, somewhere relational, just like a landscape. The most beautiful place that you've ever been. Okay, now open your eyes. Think about that place, and we probably all had a different place. I'd be surprised if, we, if any of us had the exact same place that we thought of as the most beautiful place in the world. But there's one thing that probably linked 90, 95, maybe even 99% of those things together. Not all of them, but most. And that is the presence of water. For me, it was a beach, you know, and so there's water on the beach. Uh, for some of you, maybe it was a mountain, and, you know, it was a snow-capped mountain or maybe a stream running down the mountain. Uh, for some of us, it was something like the Grand Canyon, which, you know, maybe you don't see the water. was created by water. Um, some of us, maybe it's a lake or a stream, a waterfall. You think about this idea of water, and it's something that just our hearts are kind of drawn to. We're kind of drawn to the beauty of Water. Uh, Of course, we need water to survive. We can only survive a couple days without water. Most of our body is made of water. Uh, A lot of the food that we eat is made of water. Our whole planet is sustained by water. And so water is very important to us, and there's something uh, within us that is kind of drawn to the beauty of water. But water also has kind of a sinister side. Uh, Some of the greatest natural disasters to ever occur occurred with water. Uh, of course, we had the Great Flood with Noah that destroyed the whole earth, and uh, many other cultures have uh, stories of, of different floods that occurred. Some of them are kind of a consciousness of uh, of the Great Flood. Others are just kind of more local floods. Um, in 2004, I remember the tsunami that killed 230,000 people. Uh, last year, uh, Hurricane Ian came down to southwest Florida. It's a location uh, that I've been to a number of times, and basically the place that I had gone to uh, was basically wiped out, just gone. Um, had over 20 inches of rain, uh, super high storm surge, just destroyed uh, much of that area. You know, you think about that from, you know, uh, just kind of as a reference um, the the greatest amount of rainfall in a two-day period in Buffalo ever recorded was five inches. And and that would be catastrophic for us. I remember a couple years ago, even in 2021, there was three inches of rain in one day. And and I remember being outside and the water was just flowing out out of the drains. And I'm looking, I'm thinking something's clogged, but there's nothing clogged. It's just so much water. You know, and then water gets into your house, it can destroy things like nothing else can. It has a way, you know, it can come into the roof and then it can find its way, you know, into, you know, various corners of your house and rot things out. Water has this ability to destroy, you know, like nothing else can. Um, even more more recently, there's super catastrophic uh, Disasters that occurred with water. Uh, back in the late 1800s, the Yellow River in China overflowed. Uh, killed between 900,000 and 2 million people. 1931, same river overflowed. Apparently there's an the issue where there's a lot of silt in the, in the, in the water and the, has this tendency to create these natural dams and makes, makes it overflow. Overflu, uh, overflowed in, in 1931. Killed between 1 and 4 million people. I mean, that's like western New York being gone. Water has the sinister side, and it also has this kind of idea of unpredictability. Uh, I remember years ago, my family went on vacation to uh, California. I was probably 12, 13, something like that. And me and my brother were walking uh, down the beach, and it wasn't a particularly windy day. There was no storms. It wasn't anything crazy going on. And as we're walking, this big riptide comes and just knocks both of us over. My brother starts getting taken out to sea. Thankfully, my dad was able to grab him. You know, but it was so unpredictable. There was no storm. It wasn't super windy, nothing that would you, you would make it, you expect that you'd be taken out to sea. Sometimes it's unpredictable. Water is also mysterious. Uh, Surprisingly, we know a lot more about outer space than we do about our own oceans. Uh, According to the National Ocean Service, more than 80% of our ocean is is unmapped, unobserved, and unexplored. 80% of the ocean, unmapped, unexplored, unobserved. And so there's this Kind of sinister side to water, even though it's something that you know our hearts are drawn to and something that we need to survive. And in Jesus' day, the same thing was true. Of course, they lived in an agrarian society where water was very important for their crops, for their livestock. Uh, Lack of water could be catastrophic. Um, In the scriptures we see that in the Garden of Eden there was water that flowed through the Garden of Eden. There were springs that that watered the plants and the trees in the Garden of Eden. Uh, We see that um, Jeremiah calls God the fountain of living water. Uh, We see in the original creation story the arrangement of waters and the animals that teemed in them and inhabited them. Um, In Psalm 1, the man who delights in the Lord is described as being... um, like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that it, he does, he prospers. And so, of course, in, in the in the Old Testament and, and kind of the Jewish mindset, people were drawn to this idea of water and, and kind of the sustenance that water provides. But there was also a dark side to it as well. Water represented chaos. God kind of hovered over the waters, uh, the primordial waters of chaos, and he spoke the worlds into existence. Water represented chaos, it also represented judgment. Remember the story of Noah, who um, is faithful, but the people around him are all wicked, and God brings judgment upon the people uh, through a great flood. Uh, then you have the story of the Exodus and God judges uh, the Egyptians through water. The Israelites are able to cross through on dry ground. The, uh, the Egyptians are judged and the water falls upon them. And so that's just kind of a background to how people kind of thought about water in the ancient world. That yeah, it's something that's uh, important. It's something that our hearts are drawn to. But it's also this mysterious thing that kind of represents chaos. And so Jesus has... Uh, spent some time getting away. Remember before, before he fed the, the 5,000, he had just wanted to get some time with, you know, with his disciples and with the Lord. Wasn't able to do that because his 5,000 of his closest friends showed up. Uh, but then he finally gets away, goes up on a mountain, and he's spending time with the Father. And the disciples are by themselves out on the boat. And it's super windy. Um, they're probably, you know, it's kind of an ominous feeling. There's, it's chaotic. They're out of control. They don't know what's going to happen. At this time, it's probably not life-threatening. It's probably not, the boat isn't about to sink, but it, it's discouraging. The, the wind is against them. They are keep rowing and rowing and rowing, uh, just trying to to, to, to um, set the sails in the right direction, but they just keep going farther and farther off course, and they're weary Scholars believe that by the time Jesus got to them, they had been um, in the boat for about nine hours fighting the wind, and it wasn't a very long direction, uh, far far from where they were meant to, to, to go. And so they, they, they're out of control, they're in this kind of ominous scene, and uh, I think this story is interesting because, I don't know, if, if, you're, if you're like me, maybe you've looked at the stories in the Bible and thought to yourself, well, it must be easy to trust God if Jesus is right with you, I and mean, if the one that... Heals the lame, opens the eyes of the blind, raises the dead, is with you. It seems like it would be easy to trust him. But here we have a story where Jesus isn't there. Jesus is gone. So I think it's helpful for us. And I think that this story is really about fear and battling our fears. And there's this kind of struggle in the disciples' minds between fear and faith. And I think we get a firsthand look at uh, this struggle in their hearts. Fear is incredibly powerful. Fear can make us do things like nothing else can. I remember in the early days of the pandemic, everybody was freaking out, myself included. I remember I needed to go to Budways and to go to Budways, I put on a gas mask, not like you know one of the paper medical ones, like full blown respirator with gloves and the whole deal, you know big coat. Uh, when it looked like a crazy person, then I got home and like wiped everything down with Lysol and you know disinfected everything. It's fear. Fear makes us do a lot of different things. It's a powerful motivator. And in this passage, we see that the disciples are experiencing incredible fear. The first fear they experience is kind of an imaginary fear. It's not real. Of course, the forces of chaos are upon them, it's an ominous scene. Um, disciples are out of control and Jesus starts walking towards them and what do they say? Oh my gosh it's a ghost. It's a ghost that's come to get us and of course it's not real. It's not a true fear. It's an imaginary fear. It's not a ghost. Ghosts don't exist. There was this thought in the ancient world that the the spirits of the dead who potentially died on the sea inhabited the sea um, and that ghosts like to hang out on the water sometimes And so they have this idea that, oh, it must be a ghost. And so they start freaking out, and of course, it's not real. It's not something they need to worry about, because it's Jesus. He's not really a ghost. And sometimes in our lives, we worry about things that aren't real, things that are imaginary. Uh, There was a study that was done a few years ago. Penn State University researchers did this study where they had these people who had generalized anxiety disorder, which is... um, kind of anxiety on steroids, this pervasive anxiety that really affected their lives in a few different ways. Um, And so what they would do is they would ask them uh, to record their worries. And they would send them text messages three or four times a day to to see what they were worrying about at the particular moment. And uh, then they grouped those worries into kind of different categories. They were interested in kind of testable worries. Uh, For example, they were interested in worries like, Um, I'm afraid that I'm going to fail my test tomorrow because it's testable. You know know if they failed the test or not, not things like I'm afraid that someone in my life is going to get really sick at some point in my life. You can't test that. So on average, they found that each person had three to four testable worries per day. And what they discovered remarkably was that 91% of those worries never came true. Their fears were never realized. Of those 9% that actually did come true, A third of them were not as bad as was expected. For 25% of the participants, exactly zero of their worries materialized at all. Fear is something that can grip a hold on our hearts, and sometimes we can fear things that don't even actually exist or things that are very unlikely to happen. And sometimes fear can get such a hold of our hearts that it can cause us to kind of change who we are and maybe even to do things that are kind of opposed to who we are. Uh, In his book, Fearless, Max Ducato says this, Fears turn us into control freaks, for fear at its center is a perceived loss of control. When life spins wildly, we grab for a component of life we can manage. Our diet, the tidiness of our home, the armrest of a plane, or in many cases, people. The more insecure we feel, the meaner we become. We growl and bear our fangs. Why? Because we are bad in part, but also because we feel cornered. Martin Niemöller documents an extreme example of this. He was a German pastor who took a heroic stand against Adolf Hitler. When he first met the dictator in 1933, Niemöller stood at the back of the room and listened. Later, when his wife asked him what he'd learned, he said, I discovered that Herr Hitler is a terribly frightened man. Lecater writes, fear releases the tyrant within. Fear changes us. Fear often leads us to do things that we don't want to do. It causes us sometimes to become almost a different person. Now, it's interesting. The word ghost in this passage, is word doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible, but it actually appears um, in a book called The Wisdom of Solomon, which is actually, I believe, in the Catholic Bible. It's an apocryphal writing, uh, which means that um, for various reasons, the council of the church didn't believe that it was a part of Scripture, that it was something that you know, was the Word of God, but it is something that we can look at as kind of a history or a reference. Um, but this, this word appears in, uh, in the Wisdom of Solomon, and the way that it appears is interesting. Uh, in, the pa- in the chapter that appears, the chapter is talking about the Egyptians um, during the time of the Exodus, and it talks about how the Egyptians are just gripped by fear. And look at what it says in Wisdom 17:15. It says. For the word for ghosts, monsters from their own imaginations rose up and hunted them down. They were paralyzed with fear as their spirits failed them. A sudden and unexpected fear drenched their whole being. Monsters from their own imaginations rose up and hunted them down. It's imaginary fears, things that they didn't need to worry about. And people who do evil things are often people who are driven by fear, and those evil things bring God's judgment, and then there's kind of this feedback loop where there's fear, and then it causes them to do sinful things, and then there's God's judgment and more fear. When you read the book of Exodus, never picked up on that, that theme of fear, but it's there right from the beginning. You think about Pharaoh, and why did the whole Exodus event happen? Because Pharaoh was afraid. The people of Israel were becoming numerous, too numerous, and he's thinking, they're going to overtake us. Now, was that a legitimate fear? Probably not. I mean, they exist, coexisted for uh, years up to this point, but that fear caused Pharaoh to do terrible things, to kill uh, innocent babies, to oppress the people of God, to enforce slavery upon them. And that fear caused him to do incredibly terrible things. Sometimes we have this fear in our heart that can change us, make us into people that we don't want to be. And sometimes those fears aren't even real. Other times they are real. I mean, we live in a dangerous world. Um, there's some things in this world that that are to be afraid of. You know, you think about this story and you know Peter walking on the water. I mean, there was some legitimate fear there. I mean, there's. Some choppy water, the waves that they can't get around. I mean, he's walking on the water. He could legitimately sink and drown. I mean, the disciples, they can't even get to where they're going. They're not going to be able to move the boat and rescue him most likely. And so there's a legitimate fear there. And as much as we'd like to put it out of our, out of our minds, sometimes our worst dreams or our worst fears come true. There's all, all, we all have moments in our lives when it seems like our greatest fears come true. Maybe it's our fear that we'll be abandoned and our spouse leaves us and we're alone. Maybe our greatest fears are realized when we have to say goodbye to someone that we love so much. Maybe our greatest fears are realized as we deal with debilitating health difficulties or an empty bank account. We live in a dangerous world, and there's some things that we're afraid of that are real, that are a real threat to us. The question is how do we deal with these things? How do we deal with our fear, whether it's it's imaginary fear, things that aren't really real but grip our hearts, or things that are real that are actually a threat? Well, before we look at how we deal with it, I think we need to realize how sometimes we try to deal with it, ways that maybe are somewhat helpful but don't really solve the issue. Um, Anybody seen the movie Dumb and Dumber? So... I've actually never seen the movie. Somehow I come across this scene. But there's this, this scene in Dumb and Dumber where Lloyd, main character, really likes this lady named Mary. And um, he kind of shares his feelings with her. And, um, you know, you think of, and he's like, uh, I really want to be with you. Uh, what are the chances you think we'll end up together? She says, not very good. Uh, so he says, so maybe like one in a hundred. And she's like, I was thinking like maybe one in a million. And Tsuichi responds, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> now, you think about kind of imaginary fears, and um, I've, i kind of struggle with anxiety throughout my life, and it's kind of reared its head at most times when it's like really stressful circumstances. And so when I was in seminary, I kind of had some really stressful circumstances, so that anxiety kind of reared its head. And I would worry about things that, you know, things that I shouldn't have been worried about, things that were not really real legitimate, like things that were going to happen, And people would try to help me, and, you know, I'd talk to them, and really well-intentioned people, and they would try to convince me, like, the probability of this happening isn't really uh, very high. It's probably not going to happen. And I'd walk away from those conversations sometimes, like, but there's still this chance. I mean, you're saying there's a chance. I mean, yeah, it's not very good, but it could happen, right? Or maybe I'd convince myself for a moment, they'd convince me that it was unlikely to happen, and then I'd think... Maybe they're wrong. Like, maybe maybe they're way off. You know, maybe it's going to happen. You know, fear doesn't respond to probabilities. Fear doesn't respond to logic. And so it wasn't really helpful as well-intentioned as those people were that tried to help. Then we have real fears, things that may legitimately happen or have a high probability that they're going to happen. And, and sometimes we, you know, try to convince ourselves, well, it's not going to be as bad as, as we think it is. And and sometimes it's not, and, and oftentimes we kind of catastrophize and things aren't as, as bad as they they are, but they're still going to happen potentially and so it's not really dealing with the issue maybe it feels us a little bit it makes us feel a little bit better that we're comforted in a, in a sense, but it doesn't fix the issue and in my life and I think in, in scripture it's borne out, I've discovered there's only one thing that's helpful, and it's not convincing yourself that the worst will never happen, because sometimes it does. So you can try to convince yourself that the worst is not going to happen to you, and it might be helpful for a moment. But I think the only thing that's really helped me and that can help us deal with this issue is coming to the realization that even if the worst happens, it's going to be okay. That even if our worst fears are realized, it's going to be okay. And at that point, why do we need to worry? Because if Jesus is going to be with us, Even if our worst dreams come true, why do we need to worry? In this passage, Jesus gives the antidote for fear and anxiety, and that is the presence of Christ among us. Jesus says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. I don't think that Jesus is just showing up on the scene and saying, hey guys, it's me. I don't think he's just making a flippant statement because of the way that the disciples respond at the end of this passage. They say, surely you are the Son of God. It's interesting that in this episode that they would say that because there were so many other miracles that Jesus had done. Things that were more miraculous. I mean, there's another situation where he calmed the storm, where he had raised the dead, where he had healed the blind. So many kind of more powerful miracles. And yet here in this moment, they say, surely you're the Son of God. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, I think the English translation does us a little bit of a disservice here. He says, uh, be courageous. And this word for it is I is the Greek word ego amai, which means I am. Take heart, I am, do not be afraid. And we know in the Old Testament God revealed himself that his name was I am. He described himself as I am. And so when Jesus says, take heart, I don't think he's just saying, hey, it's me, Jesus. He's saying, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. He's linking himself with the Old Testament, with the God of the Old Testament. He's saying, take heart, I am. I'm the God who spoke the worlds into existence, the God who spoke over the primordial waters of chaos, and all that you see exists. I'm the God who led Noah through the waters of judgment. I'm the God who parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could walk through the waters of judgment on dry ground. You don't have to be afraid. Take courage because I am. I am here. See, our ultimate hope is not a change in circumstance but the presence of Christ among us. And we see this borne out throughout Scripture. It's not just that we pray that God changes our circumstance. We pray that our worst fears are not realized. But even if they are, we have the assurance that God walks us through the valley of the shadow of death. That God is with us. And so for those who are struggling today, we have the hope that I am is with us. To those struggling with mental illness or depression, you don't have to be afraid because I am is with you. To those struggling with loneliness and relational difficulties, you don't have to be afraid because I am is with you. For those who are struggling with anxiety about the future, you don't have to be afraid of the future because I am holds your life in his hands. For those who are struggling with guilt and sadness over things that we've done, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to feel guilty because We serve the great I am, the one who walked over the waters of judgment, who trampled over them in the cross and offers us the ability to do the same thing. We don't have to be afraid because I am is with us. And so Jesus is who he says he is. We don't have to be afraid. We can take courage because he is the great I am, the one who spoke the worlds into existence, the one who trampled over the waters of judgment. So he is the great I am, but sometimes we lose our focus. Sometimes we focus on our fears rather than on our Savior. That's what Peter does. Peter says, if you are who you say you are, command me to come out to you on the water. Jesus says, come. I mean, think about this. This is incredibly bold faith that Peter would, would do this. I mean, he could have said, if you're really Jesus, just calm the storm. Or if you're really Jesus, like, show us the secret hand signal, you know, the secret code. He doesn't do that. He says, if you're the, who you say you are, if you're Jesus, tell me to walk out to you. I mean, there's high stakes there. If he walks out and sinks, he's probably drowning, probably won't be able to be rescued. And so this, it's incredible faith that he would ask Jesus this, and he walks out on the water, and he does what... To our knowledge, nobody else had ever done other than Jesus. He walks on top of water. And he's going towards Jesus, but then he sees the waves. His eyes avert from his Savior to his fears. And he starts to sink. That's what happens in our life sometimes. We avert our eyes from our Savior and focus on our fears. Now, sometimes we think, well, if I truly have faith, my fears. Will be gone. Well, that's not the case. So Peter's heading towards Jesus. His fear is always there. Even when he's walking on water, the fear is there. The waves are there. There's always a threat that he could sink. But his eyes are focused on Jesus. And in our life, when we're walking in faith and our eyes are focused on him, doesn't mean that there aren't threats. Doesn't mean that always Jesus calms the storm. Sometimes we're focused on Jesus, and there's still waves, there's still fear among us, but the reality is when we're focused on Jesus, the fears lose their power. They lose their sting. And so for Peter, when he's focused on Jesus, the waves are still there, but they don't have power over them. And when we focus on Christ, the fears are still there. They're still real. They're still still a threat, but they don't overtake us. And I think this passage shows us something important, and that is when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we can trample over our greatest fears. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we can trample over our greatest fears. Not in our own strength, not in our own will, but because of Christ. And we see the incredible grace of Christ. Even as Peter starts to sink, Jesus doesn't let him sink. Even when our faith is weak, Even when we're looking at him and start to get scared and and look at those fears, he doesn't let us sink. And when we reach out out our hand to him, he pulls us up. Puts us on dry ground. As believers in Christ, we rest in the one who offers forgiveness to us, who triumphed over the waters of judgment of the cross, the one who holds all power, life, and death. The Old Testament, after a time of great hardship, um, The people of Israel had been exiled from their land due to their sin. But many years after that, they were allowed to return to rebuild the temple. And they had tried to rebuild the temple for a while, but they faced a lot of opposition, uh, a lot of conflict, a lot of uh, things that would kind of cause them to give up. And so construction on the temple had stalled. And the prophet Haggai writes to them and encourages them with these words. He says, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Notice what the prophet Haggai says. The the fuel to sustain them and to help them overcome opposition and their fears is the presence of God among them. That's what changes everything. Many years ago, King George VI of England addressed the British Commonwealth on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve. And it was a moment in history where there were a lot of things happening uh, in Great Britain, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of depression and anxiety. Uh, The king's own body, little did he know, was uh, was riddled with cancer. Before the year was over, his life was actually going to be over as well. Unaware of this, he said these memorable words. He said, I said... To the man at the gate of the year, give me a light that I might walk safely into the unknown. And he said to me, Go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. It shall be to you safer than the light and better than the known. It's the presence of God that makes a difference. As John Preston, the Puritan, lay dying, friends asked him if he was afraid of dying. And he responded, No. He said, I shall change my place. But I shall not change my company. The presence of Christ among us causes our fears to lose their power. And when we focus on Christ, when our eyes are fixed on him, we can trample over our fears. The book, The Chronicles of Narnia, um, there's a character called, named Aslan who's a lion, represents Christ. And uh, in one of the books called The Silver Chair, C.S. Lewis says these incredible words. I have come, said a deep voice behind them. They turned and saw the lion himself, so bright and real and strong that everything else began at once to look pale and shadowy compared with him. As we close today, may we fix our eyes on Christ. May we see him so bright and strong and beautiful and able to handle our fears that those fears lose their power, that they lose their sting. And we're able to trample over those fears, to do what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that even when we lose sight of you sometimes, when we reach out our hand, you pick us up and pull us out of the water, put us on dry ground. Lord, as we live our lives, help us to turn our eyes to you. Help us not to be... Taken down by these fears, the things that are around us, the threats that are real or things that we create in our own minds, things that could derail us and cause us to become people that we don't want to be. Help us to see that you are there, that you are the great I am, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who split the sea so that your people might walk on dry ground, the one who trampled over sin and death and the cross so that we might have life. Help us never to forget that, Lord. Help us to look to you to find our peace, find our rest. In Christ's name I pray.